You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Amy McLaughlin here for Stick Together, a half hour of workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. We're coming to you from 3CR on the unceded lands of the Kulin Nation with respect to their elders past, present and emerging. We are coming to you on your community radio station through the Community Radio Network. Three reports for you today. The union movement has put its support and efforts on the ground into a yes vote in the upcoming referendum on the Voice to Parliament. With the announcement of the date for the referendum October the 14th, we go to the Union New South Wales event commemorating the 70th anniversary of the Wave Hill walk-off, which ties this significant Indigenous action for rights with the present call for a voice to Parliament. We will follow that by a reading of the Uluru Statement, where it all began, that comes from the recent Women's Rights at Work conference, where union women discussed the voice. We then hear from Ian Bray from the International Transport Workers Federation, the ITF, about the week-long ITF action to reduce worker exploitation on foreign ships arriving in New South Wales ports, and the next action further along the eastern seaboard in Victoria and South Australia. Lastly, we go to the Melbourne University campus where academic, professional staff supported by students went on strike last week, some for up to seven days, to force action on wages, job security, workloads and more. We go to the National Tertiary Education Union, the NTEU rally, held in the centre of the campus and hear some voices from that rally. You're listening to Stick Together, Worker Stories and Union News, broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. You're with Annie on Stick Together, Worker Stories, Union News and Social Justice Issues. The union movement in Australia has a long history of supporting Indigenous struggles. The union movement has thrown its wholehearted support behind the yes vote for the voice to Parliament. Unions New South Wales took the opportunity to marry the history of support to the new battle at a recent event to commemorate the 70th year anniversary of the Wave Hill walk-off. We first hear from Mark Moray, Secretary of Unions New South Wales, who introduces Thomas Mayo, one of the leading spokespersons for the Yes Vote for the Voice to Parliament, who is also a Deputy Secretary of the MUA, the Maritime Union of Australia. Good afternoon and thanks for joining us for the Unions New South Wales Unions for Yes campaign webinar. Uh, today we're going to hear from a couple of great speakers. Uh, we're going to take a few questions and we're also going to ask you to join in and help out in our campaign. 
Can I start firstly by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the lands on which I meet, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging, and of course pay my respects to any First Nations people who are joining us this afternoon. Uh, the Voice, the Yes campaign, we are as a union movement in New South Wales 100% behind our First Nations people in calling for a voice to Parliament. It's nothing scary. The world is not going to end if the referendum gets up. As all unionists believe, if decisions are made, they are made best by having those involved or those affected by those decisions involved in the process. This is what the Yes campaign is campaigning for, and this is what Unions New South Wales and our affiliated unions are also campaigning for. Can I also say that today is a special day. It's 57 years since the Gurindji people walked off at Wave Hill in protest of the conditions in which they were working. 200 workers worked off because they were being paid a third less than other workers at the station, and often they were only paid in rations. That dispute, which started as an industrial dispute, became far more than that. It became about recognising the traditional owners of the land. It became recognising self-determination. This, the Yes campaign, is just another step in that. So our first speaker, who everyone I imagine on the, on the webinar will know, uh, is Thomas Mayo. He's the National Assistant Secretary of the MUA. He's also a director of the YES campaign. And I'd like to bring Thomas in to chat about what Wave Hill actually means reflecting on that and where we're going with the YES campaign and why it is so important for First Nations people. Welcome, Thomas. Thank you, Mark. Uh, thank you for your introduction and thank you uh, to you and Unions uh, New South Wales uh, for your support for this very important campaign. It is a a very significant anniversary, the Wave Hill walk-off. It's something that's personal to me, uh, having been a, a wharfie for 16 years in Darwin. I started there when I was 17 years old um, and worked with a fellow named Brian Manning and got to know a lot of the old fellows that had retired as well uh, that were an important part of uh, supporting the Gurindji people when they walked off Wave Hill Station. Before I go into the importance of uh, union solidarity with the walk-off and with today, I just want to help people understand exactly what the Gurindji people, it wasn't just the Gurindji people, Aboriginal people uh, from across the region that were working at Wave Hill Station. I want you to understand exactly what they were protesting against. And it was more than equal wages and eventually land rights. But when you consider that um, those workers, not just the stockmen, but the domestic workers as well on the station, when you consider that they were uh, only getting rations, a bit of flour, a bit of tobacco, um, some beef bones, working 16-hour days thereabouts with almost no time for uh, any recreation or to um, bury your own dead with dignity and ceremony as we like to do as human beings, if that was the conditions that they were working in, if they were only getting the sustenance required to work those sorts of hours with no time for anything else, it is basically slavery. It's not just working for rations. It wasn't just unequal wages. Um, it was slavery. And so there and around the country, Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander people have been integral to building uh, this modern nation and often without pay and often with stolen wages, 
And, uh, and those are the things that we should understand as unionists as a, as a great injustice. And so I think that naturally led to union members being uh, an important part of the Gurindji Wavehill walk-off struggle. We had supported, not long before the Wavehill walk-off, uh, the Newcastle Waters strike and also the Pilbara strike in 1946 when seafarers and wharfies refused to export cargoes from pastoral stations in solidarity with Aboriginal workers uh, in the Pilbara. I worked with a fellow named Brian Manning and, uh, and I often went to the anniversary of the Wavehill walk-off from the point when I became an organiser back on the 45th anniversary of the walk-off and got to sit and, and see uh, as a young man the affection and the respect um, that old unionists like Brian and Jack Phillips as well, another fella that was a wharfie in Darwin that helped out, um, the respect and uh, affection between uh, union leaders and the Gurindji people. And I've experienced that as I've travelled around the country as well, advocating for this referendum that we are soon going to have the opportunity to bring to fruition, uh, the call for a voice, that around the country, Indigenous elders especially remember the, the importance of the solidarity of our union movement um, with our people to get uh, recognition and rights. Having been to the walk-off anniversary each year over the years, I've built a very close relationship with the Gurindji people, including Vincent Lingyari's granddaughter, Rosie Smiler, uh, who co-authored a children's book with me that celebrates the courage of the Aboriginal workers that walked off Wavehill Station, uh, what that fight was all about, what they had to overcome, uh, but importantly, as I always do in my writing, celebrating our involvement as unions in uh, the success of that struggle. And I can tell you this with absolute certainty, that the Gurindji people are very passionate, are great supporters of this campaign to achieve a constitutionally enshrined voice, and they want you to vote yes with us. They understand it because from the moment when the handful of sand was poured into Vincent Lingyari's by Gough Whitlam, uh, they suffered new challenges. Um, it was a moment that we should celebrate um, that, uh, that, that iconic image um, of Whitlam pouring some land back into Lingyari's. But the Gurindji dream was to live on their land their way. And soon after that handful of sand, they established a cattle station and a mining company. Their dream was to raise cattle, to enjoy the beef in the way that they wanted to do. But they were always suffering from paternalism, uh, an expectation that they exploit their land for maximum profit rather than just enjoy it as they wished. They suffered from sabotage from the country Liberal Party, uh, who attended Rights for Whites rallies during um, their struggle for recognition and land rights. They you know, suffered at every turn attempts by non-Indigenous people to see that their dream would be denied. And so they know that what was missing from having land back was a voice, a voice to influence the decisions about regulations, about laws and policies that affected how they could enjoy their country, a voice to stand up against politicians using their lives as a political game, as a way to gain votes um, by stirring fear and division. They understand that a voice is absolutely vital.
And so that brings us to this present moment. The Gurindji people support this. A great majority of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people support this. We know that through the process that led to the consensus in the Uluru Statement. We know that from multiple polls. And they tell us that over 80% of Indigenous people want you to vote yes with us. Um, we are walking together in this campaign from the moment when Australia goes to the polls and decides yes or no. Do we recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in our constitution by setting up a way that we can listen to them? An advisory voice, um, a voice from the communities chosen by us, accountable to us, that can make a difference in closing the gap uh, and that can see justice and reconciliation in this country in a greater way than that we will if we don't, uh, if we fail. So comrades, I conclude by asking you, be invigorated in this, get a fire in your belly, and fight for yes. Thank you. Before we leave the Voice to Parliament referendum, here is a reading of the Uluru Statement, where it all began, given by Rachel Boss, ACTU First Nations educator and officer, who gave a presentation in support of the Voice to Parliament at the recent Women's Rights at Work conference. What I'm going to do today, and I always seize this opportunity whenever I'm in front of a group of people, but I'm going to read the statement to the heart of it, from the heart from you because this document was designed to be heard. It is a beautiful statement. The words come alive when they're spoken and I want to be able to share that with you today. And I know most of you have probably heard it before, but just bear with me. We, gathered at the 2017 National Constitutional Convention, coming from all points of the southern sky, make this statement from the heart. Our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes were the first sovereign nations of the Australian continent and its adjacent islands and possessed it under our own laws and customs. This our ancestors did, according to the reckoning of our culture from the creation, according to common law from time immemorial, and according to science more than 60 thousand years ago. The sovereignty is a spiritual notion, the ancestral tie between the land or mother nature and the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who were born therefrom, remain attached thereto and one day must return thither to be united with our ancestors. This link is the basis of the ownership of the soil or better of sovereignty. It has never been ceded or extinguished and coexists with the sovereignty of the Crown. How could it be otherwise that a peoples possessed a land for 60 millennia and the sacred link disappears in merely the last 200 years? With substantive constitutional change and structural reform, we believe this ancient sovereignty can shine through as a fuller expression of Australia's nationhood. Proportionately, we are the most incarcerated people on the planet. We are not an innately criminal people. Our children are aliened from their families at unprecedented rates. This cannot be because we have no love for them. And our youth languish in detention in obscene numbers. They should be our hope for the future. These dimensions of our crisis tell plainly the structural nature of our problem. This is the torment of our powerlessness. 
We seek constitutional reforms to empower our people and take a rightful place in our own country. When we have power over our destiny, our children will flourish. They will walk in two worlds and their culture will be a gift to their country. We call for the establishment of a First Nations voice enshrined in the Constitution. Makarata is the culmination of our agenda, the coming together after a struggle. It captures our aspirations for a fair and truthful relationship with the people of Australia and a better future for our children based on justice and self-determination. We seek a Makarata Commission to supervise a process of treaty making between governments and First Nations and truth-telling about our history. In 1967, we were counted. In 2017, we seek to be heard. We leave base camp and start our trek across this vast country. And we invite you to walk with us in a movement of the Australian people for a better future. You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. Australia is an island nation and it relies heavily on foreign tankers supplying and taking cargo. The ITF, the International Transport Workers Federation, works in the interests of those workers who run the ships. As we hear from ITF official Ian Bray speaking on MUA Fire Up show on 3CR, a week-long action on the New South Wales seaboard uncovered some horror stories and he also was able to explain why union solidarity really counts. Probably the busiest year we've had since I've been uh, in the ITF. We're just fresh off the back of the uh, New South Wales week of action where we uh, put the microscope on all New South Wales ports for a period of a week. Done over 78 inspections, recovered $1.5 million in the space of a week uh, in uh, wage theft. There was a whole heap of other things that we got uh, fixed up, medical attention for seafarers, repatriation for seafarers, shore leave for seafarers, provisioning of ships, where who would think in 2023 a ship comes in an Australian port and it hasn't really got enough food to get to the next port? These things still go on. Uh, I know it's invisible, but and we, we have to keep bringing these things to the fore because even we just shake our head. Uh, but also, too, we uncovered um, breaches to the Coastal Trading Act, we think, to the tune of roughly $3.5 million uh, of Australian award wages owing. So that's still pending. We're... But most of the work coming out of the week of action is uh, chasing that up. Now, uh, coming off fresh off the New South Wales week of action, we're starting to plan the next week of action. It's just been approved by London. Um, and it's going to take in the southern region. So the New South Wales week of action was three ports. We're taking on South Australia, Victoria and Tasmania uh, simultaneously. I think it's 17 ports. So all of the training we did with the volunteer networks last year in 2022, um, we're going to put that to the test. We're going to say we we say we can cover 17 ports in a week of action simultaneously, and we'll be working with the branches and working that up over the next couple of months uh, to ensure that that's a huge success. In terms of the year to date, uh, last year was a bit of a record for us, 6.7 million US in wage recovery last year. We're just at the end of August now and uh, 
we're talking 10 million already we've passed. So we're 4 million uh, ahead of our best with four months to go. The week of action, we think we're going to finish somewhere around about between 14 and $16 million in wage recovery. So for those out there that think the world's getting better and it's, it's improving and all of these things, I can tell you the reverse is happening for workers that are exploited uh, or that are exploitable um, uh, from the employer's point of view. Um, and it just goes to show, give an inch, they take a mile, and if you're not organised, this is what they do to you. And it's not only the wages, it's not only the robbery of uh, the incomes that your families rely on, and for these poor uh, seafarers, you know, you're talking, you're talking 1,300 US a month uh, for these seafarers. So it's not a lot of money in terms of 15,000 US as a salary. Um, and they are robbing every chance they get, denying them the right to go home, denying them medical attention. And we would, we thought we'd like to be able to report after a few years it's getting better. It's actually getting worse. But there was a ship last week in Queensland and uh, uh, Amster detained it. Uh, it was there for four days. Their report, they when it left the port, they give it a 12-month ban. It's not allowed back in Australia for 12 months. And the reason why they cited it got the ban is because of the coercion, the forgery of contracts. So they're actually uh, forging the seafarers' contracts. In one case, a 50% deduction. So the seafarer signed onto the ship for a wage. He got on the ship. A month later, they reduced his wages and, and put a contract in his cabin that was forged by one of the senior officers. So this is the, the skullduggery that goes on. This is what happens when... Uh, you know, the, the more the world becomes unregulated in terms of uh, fairness and equity, um, these are the things that uh, happen and these are the things we should expect if we're not unionised, if we haven't got the union density, if we haven't got the preparedness to fight, let alone the capacity to fight, the preparedness to fight. These are the things that are on the horizon for workers if they don't remain vigilant uh, and focused in terms of the their key conditions. You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. Across Australia, university campuses, NTU, National Tertiary Education Union members, have been fighting a common battle against insecure work, low wages, wages theft, crippling workloads and constant restructures. Last week saw the Melbourne University campus taking protected action in some areas for up to seven days. We hear some of the voices from the rally. I would like to introduce our next speaker, uh, Miranda Stewart. Uh, Miranda is a professor at the University of Melbourne Law School. So my name's Miranda Stewart. I joined the University of Melbourne in the year 2000. I was hired in a continuing position, which uh, was a great privilege and was a consequence of union action previously, and has become less and less common over time. I've been a member of the union for my whole time working here, as have many of my colleagues, and I've participated in various actions over the years. I have to say this is one of the most amazing actions that I have ever participated in. I became a professor just over a decade ago and it's been rewarding and exciting to have a continuing permanent job at the Melbourne Law School at this university. 
it's an amazing opportunity to, to have a continuing permanent job as an academic in my field. I support and I'm participating in the strike today and with the Melbourne Law School and colleagues here at other faculties for the rest of this week. It's a big commitment. I care about bringing the university to the bargaining table. I'm horrified by the delay. I'm most concerned about ensuring the future of permanent, stable and continuing employment for our valued academic and professional staff at the university. People are the university. The buildings, the tech and the management of risk should be subsidiary to this. I strike in solidarity with casual staff at the university and thank you for your service. I call on management to immediately engage in negotiation for a target for decasualisation. I'm also concerned about workload. So what do I mean by that? It's not that I should teach less or research less or do less public communication and exchange in my field. Far from it. I am fortunate to work in one of the top law schools in the world here at the Melbourne Law School, one of the largest and one of the most productive universities in the world. But today, as a professor who is a director of a research centre and graduate studies, nearly half of my time is taken up in trying to connect, triage and fix problems, ranging from enrolments to websites, assessments to materials, invoices to events. Even my most business-like, profit-making, you would think, work, consultancies, engaging with the profession and with government, delivering high-quality graduate study is not supported well by this university. No. Most changes in the last few years have impeded my ability to do my job well and the ability of all my colleagues. I've never had more trouble finding, talking to and engaging with people across the university who have knowledge and control over the technology and processes that we are expected to use. That institutional, personal and careful knowledge of continuing staff is not valued at this university. The university is failing academics and students and professional staff. Fundamentally, management is failing to respect, trust and support our expertise in teaching, research and public community outreach and engagement. So that's why I'm striking. I'd encourage everyone to come down to our solidarity lunches, our teach-out seminars and our other activities at University Square this week and elsewhere on the campus. People are the university. That's why I'm striking. Thank you. That's it for Stick Together this week. If you want to catch up with our program, the podcast is available at 3cr.org.au or at your favourite podcast site. You can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by ringing 0394198377 and leaving us a message. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you 
And until next time, stick together. Grandfather walked this land in chains A land he called his own He was given another name And taken into town He got special treatment Special treatment very special treatment My father worked a 12-hour day As a stockman on the station The very same work but not the same pay As his white companions He got Special treatment, special treatment, very special treatment. Mother and father loved each other well, but together they could not stay. They were split up against their will. Until their dying day They got special treatment Special treatment Very special treatment Mama gave birth to a stranger's child A child she called her own Strangers came and took away that child To a stranger's home She got special treatment Special treatment Very special I never spoke my mother's tongue I never knew my name I never learned the song she sung I was raised in shame I got special treatment Special treatment, very special treatment. Yeah, we got special treatment, special treatment, very special treatment. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.